0: Do it, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter nine, where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 9. And uh, we're going to look at the first part of the story of Paul Saul's conversion. And uh, as we're getting started, I want, you, I want to challenge you in a couple different areas here. Uh, number one, we all have a story. Uh, if you know Jesus, that is, we have a story. Uh, for some of you, your story is utterly amazing. You know, I hear stories of what, how God just reached down and touched a life, and, and all of a sudden, things that were a part of their life are no longer a part of You know, I grew up as a teenager in my church singing the things I used to do, the things I used to say, don't do them anymore, the, you know, the old songs that we used to sing. And there's been a great change since I've been born again. And you see some lives, and you think, wow, what an incredible story that this person has because of what God has done in their life. And then for others of you, your story is less simple. It's uh, pretty simple, less flamboyant. You know, I kind of fall in that category myself. You know, I'm five years old, and I was, I've shared this so many times, but I I'd never doubted my salvation from the time I put my faith and trust in Christ from the time I was a little kid. You know, but at five years old, I wasn't on the bottle drinking an alcoholic. I wasn't involved in immorality. I wasn't, you know, in drugs and alcohol. And I, I mean, I, I was a kid. You know, I used to think, man, I got one of the most boring salvation testimonies, the most boring story that anybody would ever want to hear. Grew up in church, got saved, run into the call, got a free. But you know, the older I grew the older I, as I grew up, I can't even get the words out, the older I God, the more I realize that the miracle is not in how God saved you from what you were involved with. The miracle is that God saved you. That's it. I mean, think about that. Think about that for a minute. You may not have a flamboyant story. That's okay. You have a story. God touched your life and saved you. It's your story. And whatever side your story falls on, I want you to know these couple things. Number one, it's your story. Own it. Own it! Because if you can't tell your story, I mean, think about it. Did the woman at the well, God's word says that she dropped her water pots and went and told everybody. Did she first go to Bible college, yes or no? I mean, she went to Jerusalem Theological Seminary before she could really tell her story, right? No. No. She didn't go to 12 weeks of classes on learning how to study the Bible before she told her story, did she? No. In fact, I don't even know that she went to her first church service before she told her story, right? The bottom line is, she owned her story. She had a story that Jesus came to the well and changed her life, and everything was different, and she simply told someone else what happened to her. And it says on her account, many believed. When's the last time you told somebody your story because you had ownership of it and God gave you your story so that you could share it with somebody else? Secondly, use your story for God's glory. Don't even just own it. Use it for God's glory. And number three, praise God for his salvation as often as you think it. Don't ever let the awe of what God has done for you just to slip away. So the question is, do you have a story? Have you come to the place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone? Are you convinced that God has saved your soul? That's good. Some of you are absolutely convinced. Let me ask this question. I want you not to not say it out loud, but just in your mind, I want you to answer this. Don't say it out loud. But if I were to ask you this question, and I've asked this question many times over the years, let's put a percentage by it, just for a moment. Just for kicks and giggles. Let's put a percentage by it. So if I were to say, what percentage are you sure that you're truly a child of God? Are you 25% sure you're a child of God? I mean, you're 25% sure that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're saved. Say, well, Pastor, I'm not at 25%. Are you at 50%? I mean, there's 50-50. I mean, I mean, I might make it to heaven, I might not, I'm not really sure, but I'm 50% sure. Okay, so that's a little bit better than 25%. I mean, I would, think, but maybe not. I say, well, Pastor, I'm more in the 80 percentile range. I mean, I'm a little bit more than others, I mean a little bit less than them, but you know, I mean, I'm not the holy rollers that you know are here, every time the doors are open. I don't read my Bible and pray every day. I don't really tell others about my faith. But I'm I'm in that 80 percentile range. Okay, cool. If that's where you're at and you're honest about it, own it. Maybe you're 92 percent shorter. I mean, 92 is a good number, right? And we're getting up to that 100 mark, right? 92 percent is not bad, right, in the big picture? Maybe. But then maybe not. Pastor, I'm 100% sure. Not based off what I've done. Not based off what anyone else has done. Only based off my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But here's the problem with putting a percentile to it. Right if you were one of the honest ones here this morning, you said, I'm 25% sure that I'm going to heaven. You know what that means? You're 75% sure you're going to hell. Ooh, that one hurt a little bit. Say, well, Pastor, I was on the 50% side. Well, that means you're still 50% sure you're going to hell. Ouch. Pastor, I'm at the 80. You're still at 20%. You want to risk that? I don't. I want, even if you're 92%, you're still 8% sure. that you're going straight to hell. Unless you are 100% certain. That you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone.
1: The only other alternative is
0: hell for all eternity. So, Pastor, is that really important to discuss? Yeah, it is. Because Jesus Christ said in his own word in the Gospels, I came down to what? Give my life a ransom. He said, I came to die on a cross that you may have life. He wants us to have He wants us to have life in Him. And the reality is, you can be religious, as we'll see in just a moment. You can do all kinds of good deeds. But if you don't know Jesus, you've heard me say for years, you're still no closer to heaven when you die. You know, after last week's conversation, somebody came to me and said, you know, does does baptism save? No, it doesn't. See, I was baptized as a baby. I was in a German Orthodox Church, a Reformed Orthodox Church when I was a baby. Because that's what everyone does. They baptize babies in the you know, German Reformed Baptist church, Orthodox Church. That's what everyone does. In Minnesota, you betcha. <laughs> I was baptized as a baby. Didn't he nothing. Pupil ceremony. Pour water over his head, watch it drain in the basin that's not salvation, and that will not get you to heaven. The reality is, only one thing will get you to heaven. And sometimes there's a process involved in God working in our lives. But in Acts chapter 9, I want to read the first nine verses, and we're going to see the first part of Saul's conversion. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, in other words, those who were followers of Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus and was there three days without sight and neither ate nor rain. You see, many of us in this room, we would say, "Well, I'm nothing like Saul." But yet, the flip side of the coin, many of us were exactly like Saul. How do I know that? Well, keep your fingers there just for a moment. I'm going to turn over to Philippians chapter three, and read just a couple of verses in chapter, uh, chapter three, verses four through six, and you'll find out where the parallels are between us. And just start from verse 3. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And here's what Paul goes on to say. This is Paul after God converted him. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. Right? He says, I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more about that. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I found blameless. Think about this. Paul said, if there is a person who is religious, right here, person who knows the law, right here it is, my hands up. Somebody who knows what to do inside the synagogues and the churches because I'm a Pharisee? Right here. If you want to put it this way, Paul was saying, you want to talk about being religious? There's no one more religious than me. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, if there's a pedigree to follow, it's mine. You say, well, I never persecuted the church. I never to hurt anybody. No, but some of us have rel- have religion, but don't have a relationship. That's where Saul was. Saul, <laughs> as Saul, had a pedigree that was better than everyone's. Just ask me, he'd tell you. Proud, arrogant. I mean, here's a guy that, I mean, he was proud of himself. Amazing, isn't it? let's go back to Acts chapter 22 just for a moment. We're going to get there again later on down the road, but just for a moment. Acts chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. He says, I am a Jew, born of Tarsus of Cilicia, but having been brought up in this city, having been instructed at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of the law of our father's being zealous for God just as y'all are today. What's he saying here? He says, I'm religious, just like many of you guys. We're religious. I've had the best teachers. I've been educated. I know the law. And then verse 5, As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. Just ask anybody. Everybody knows who I am. And from them I also received letters to the brothers and it started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He goes and recounts his salvation testimony of how he saw the light and God got a hold of his heart. But many religious people cannot or will not see or acknowledge their need for a Savior. Because many people feel like they're okay. They're just okay. Everything's going to be fine. God will sort it out in the end. I've even had people say to me, it doesn't matter what religion you're a part of, we're all getting there, we're just kind of taking a different route to get there. No, we're not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, Jesus. says. Acts 4.12 says, neither is there salvation in any other name for no one can be saved other than through the name of Jesus. It's not about being good, because none of us can be good enough. None of us could be wise enough. None of us could be amazed enough that we could just amaze Jesus into, into heaven one day. We can't do it. But yet, many of us come to church every week, and I tell you, we've been saying it for years. We can walk up to say, "Hey, how's it going?" Handshake, hugs, woo. Good friends, brothers, how was your week? Oh, it was great, brother, it was awesome. Lie, lie, lie. Because we don't want to give any type of error that we're struggling. We're not really sure of our salvation. Because if we were, things would be different. I mean, let's be honest, we had a study on Thursday night in a Bible study on James 2. And if you know anything about James 2, it says faith without works is what? Amen. Dead. And yet many of us who claim to know the name of Jesus and have a relationship with him, we haven't served him in years. Let's be honest. And can I just say, church attendance is not service. It's not. Reading your Bible and praying is not service and work for the Lord. It's not. Giving to the needs of the church is not service and work for God. That has nothing to do with any of it. man, this guy is really me this morning. (laughs) Maybe to put a little sliver in your hind end and I to say, I need to think about some stuff. Because the bottom line is works will never save you. Going to church won't save you. Being good to people will never give you one inch into heaven. This all comes down to a relationship. And many people think they have it, yet they're still living for the things of this world. What do you love more? love the things of God more or the things of this world more. God's word says, for all that is in this world, 1 John 2, remember this? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of this world. What's it going to say, verse 18, that all the things of this world are going to what? Pass away. From you. So he says, love not the things of the world. Psalm 16 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. But so the end, there are the ways of so there's a way that we think we can operate, manipulate, we can, we can kind of really, honestly, we can, we can surprise everyone around us. We can, we can fool everyone around us, but you can't fool God. Here's a man who was religious. If we could put him back into 2023, he'd say, man, I went to Bible college. I went to church every time the doors were open. I was there for Sunday school, I was there for morning worship. I was there for Saturday night prayer. I was there for Wednesday night Bible study and Thursday night Bible study. He goes, "I learned it all." That's what Paul would say if he were living in 2023. Challenge me on what what the Word says. I will be the first one to raise my hand and give you the correct answer. But what Saul did not have at this point was a relationship with Jesus. He knew a lot about. God. A lot about the Word. But he didn't know the God of the Word. How do I know that? Well, let me look at one more passage in Romans chapter 9. And then we'll get to our text here. Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 30 through 33 says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness laid hold of righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not attain that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And the one who believes upon him will not be put to shame. What's he saying to you? There are some people, though religious, will never acknowledge their need they're just good in their own minds. I would challenge you this way. If you truly know Jesus, what's the evidence in your life that validates those claims? What would validate your claims of truly knowing Jesus and walking with Him? If your spouse that came home one day and says, hey, I just got two million dollars. Well, where is it? Well, um, I'm not telling you, but I got $2 million. And they claim this for week after week after week. What do you eventually want some validation of the fact that they got $2 million? Just <laughs> saying. The talk is cheap. If there's nothing to validate the claim, it's worthless. And that's why he says faith without work is dead." So Acts chapter 9 back to our text here. Let me just give you a few things here to consider. First of all, notice Saul's attitude. Now remember, Saul is a religious man. And even as a religious man who had been brought up in the law, had been taught by the best teachers, who knew all the rules and regulations, here's his attitude. Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Sounds like a fine upstanding Christian. Sounds like a man who just loves Jesus. But see, he had his own brand of Jesus. He had his own brand of religion. So his attitude, breathing threats and anticipating murder. Sounds like a nice guy. But guess what? In his world, it was okay. It was okay. He had special permissions. In fact, we see that in his agenda, verse 2. And it asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What was his agenda? Well, three things. He asked for letters from the synagogues. In other words, he wanted legal authority. See, he was on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, right? So as he was on his way to Damascus, he already sent ahead to the synagogues that were there saying, Hey, I need special permission. I need legal authority that if I find anybody who claims to follow Jesus, not the church, not the scribes, and not the Pharisees, but if they claim to follow Jesus, and they're part of the way, I need to be able to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem so that we can put them in jail and maybe even kill them. Wait, but he's a religious man. Yeah, but he had his own religion, his own special kind of religion. So his agenda was... He asked for letters, legal authority. And then he asked for permission to bind the believers. Wow. This guy is a little piece of work. And then number three, he asked if he might bring those believers back to Jerusalem to throw them in jail. But you see something else in verse three and four. You see Saul's attention and how it changed. It says, and as he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice his attention was changed. Now it's focused on the momentary flash from heaven. And he's focused on the voice of God. You know what I believe This is is my personal opinion, that God will orchestrate the events of our life to get our attention. Let me ask you a question those of you that aren't certain that you know Jesus, you're not in that 100 percentile range, just be honest for a minute. Just for a minute. You say, well, Pastor, I'm just not sure, but let me just put you thinking, can yeah, on well, just for a moment? If you can be honest with yourself to admit that you're not truly saved, that you've never had a moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, can you remember a time that you got to work with your See, God does it in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's through the Word. Sometimes it's through accidents and circumstances that happen in our life. I can't tell you how many times God got my attention. God was working through circumstances to get my attention. The whole time I'm like griping and complaining over the circumstance, and God's like, hmm, how many more do you want before you kind of look up? How many, how many you want to go through? Oh, 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 okay. It's your choice. You can keep ignoring me. Yeah, you can keep pretending I'm not there. Yeah, yeah go ahead. You're doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. here's another one for you. How many of us can think back to times in our life when God has allowed circumstances and situations and other people He's allowed to come into our life to get our focus off of ourselves and off of everything that we're complaining about? And He's like, all you got to do is look up. I'm right there. We just ignore it because we got this one. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm wealthy enough. I'm wise enough. And God is saying, Nope. You can't do this one. This one is the only one that I can take care of. That's Saul. I mean, he's trying to get permission to bring them, but God is changing his focus. God's getting his attention uses a this flash. I don't really know what that means, 100%. I guess I could go into the Greek, Greek and, and, and get the exact Greek word for it, but you know what a flash is? It's a flash. Right? God used the flash to get his attention. And it worked. And then the next thing he does God asks him a pretty pointed question. Why are you persecuting Why are you doing this? I mean, here's a guy who's, remember this, you are religious. And you would think you'd be glad to encounter other people who are trying to follow Jesus. But no, that's a different brand. No, I'm not Baptist. I'm, I'm, I'm Lutheran. I'm Catholic. I'm Church of God. Church don't matter, I'm in it. God didn't come for a certain denomination. He came for all of us. That we would put our faith and trust in Him. But for Saul, this yet was not good enough. But God got His attention. Saul. Saul. Why are you persecuting me? You know what? Some of us I haven't persecuted anybody. No. But have you turned your face against God? Ever? Have you ever just put your fist in the face of God and said no? It's a different. In the front of God is in the front of God. No matter what it looks like. And we do that every time we say no to God and yes to self. That's exactly what of And then you notice the accusation. Saul knows exactly who's speaking to him. Look at verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Just, just a curiosity question. Maybe some of you might have it, but how, how did Saul know this was the Lord? I think God has been dealing with him for a while. I think God was trying to get his attention for a while. He knows exactly who's speaking to him. He says, I am Jesus. whom so the person." You. And I'll notice God's command. Verse 6. He says, Rise up and enter the city. And it will be told you what you must do. So he's to rise up and go to the city. And then the second thing God told him to do when says, when you get there, just wait. Did I say it yet? No. Nope. See, sometimes we want to get ahead of God. Okay, God, if I do this, then then what? I haven't got to the then what yet. I just want you to go. You see, some of us in this room—we're thinking just a little bit—that if I give my life to Christ, if I truly surrender to God's working in my life, He's going to ask me to. He just might. He might. And you should be willing. Because the bottom line is the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, even if that means it's the darkest place on earth. If that's the center of God's will, that's where we should want to be. I'd rather be in the most dangerous place in America, knowing that it's God's will, than someplace nice and safe and secure, knowing that it's you want me to do when I get there? Just just wait. Don't get ahead of me, Saul. Just just do what I'm telling you to do. And some of you need to be honest with yourself. If I give my life to God, he may ask me to do something. Yep, he might. And you should be willing to do it. But you know what Saul did? He rose up and went. Verse 8 says, And Saul got up from He answered the Lord. Really, he did. He got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, what's it saying? He could see nothing. God had his attention still. You see, God took away Saul's ability to control his own self. I mean, think about that. How many of you like to relinquish control of yourself? Anybody want to have your eyes blinded? Your ears Muted? No, not me. I want control of me. I, I, Ken wants control again. I don't want to relinquish that to anybody. Saul didn't have a choice. <laughs> God got a hold of him, right? Even though his eyes were open, he had no ability to see. And the amazing thing is that God was speaking to him. How do I know that? Verse 7 says, and the men who traveled with him stood speechless. They couldn't hear the voice, but they didn't see anyone. Like, Saul, who, who's this, where, where's this voice coming from? Wow, I'm talking about God getting attention. And Saul went, though blind and hungry. So that he didn't eat for days. So let me just give you a couple things to think about. God begins to use him and call him to service. But I want you to think about three things. As we Number one, do you truly know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or do you have religion? Well, that's the question. You see, religion comes to church every week and that's what we do. Religion throws an offering in the plate or in the boxes because that's what we do We're good people throw off Religion is nice to people because you, you know, God expects us to be nice. You see, that's all works. That's all religion. Relationship says, I want to know my Jesus. I want to communicate with Him and pray with Him and talk with Him. I want Him to speak to me. I want to know His heart. That's relationship. Relationship, note the relationship on the face of God's earth is effective without communication. Those of you that are married, try not talking for a week. What's wrong with nothing? <laughs> right? As the walls are being built with some seriously hard and Right? You see a lack of communication really means a lack lack of relationship. Bottom line is you cannot have an effective relationship without effective communication. I don't care whether it's between a spouse Or your children, or your employer, or your neighbor, or your friends, or your relatives. Communication is by far the most important factor to have a strong relationship. And without it, it will fail. So I don't ask you if you have religion, I ask you if you have relationships. When's the last time you talked to Jesus other than to thank him for food for 10 seconds? When's the last time you asked? God to speak to you through his word. And it wasn't on a two-minute schedule because I just want to set out on God. Because you have a relationship with him, not religion. So there's the first question. Do you have Jesus? Do you truly know Jesus? Number two, if not, number two, what is God doing to get your attention? What is he allowed in your life? not an accident. I put that there on purpose so you look at me. That's not coincidence. Yeah, I put that there on purpose. Look here. Yeah, right here. I'm right here. What is God doing in your life to get your attention that you might focus back on him? You see, some of us think that we're going to be here forever. I'll just tell you, I'm not going to be here I might have broke the 70 curse as I've joked about. No man in my family lived beyond 70, but I got heart surgery before I knew I had a problem. I might have broke the 70 curse. I'm not sure. But you know what? Even if I broke the 70 curse and lived at the 80, 85, 100, I'm not going to be here forever. And neither are you. In fact, Proverbs 27 1 says this. And if you don't know Jesus, you got to think about it. If you're not sure you have to think about it. If you're in that 50 percentile range or 92 percentile range, you got to think about this. Boast not yourself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us has the guarantee of tomorrow. Is the pastor trying to scare me? No. Just give you some facts. Think about it. Remember those old commercials? The more you know, that's all it is. The more you know, the more you can make a wise decision. None of us has the guarantee of tomorrow. You say, well, I'll get serious with God later. You know, when I'm old and can't do anything else, when I when I'm on my deathbed, or when I'm, you know, when I when I feel a little bit better, or when I understand a little bit more, then I'll get serious with God. You don't have that guarantee, neither do I. We don't know when Jesus is going to come either. Just something to think about. It. And number three, how are you? to God's work in and around you? How are you responding to it? So, number one, do you truly know Jesus and have a relationship with him? Number two, is God trying to get your attention? And number three, how are you responding to what he's doing in and around you? I've said it a thousand times. I I wish, I wish I could control things around me. I wish for a moment I could say, you're not saved? Boom. Saved. Done. But I can't do that. No one in this room can. In fact, remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at the difference between Philip and Simon? Simon says, I'm a great magician. I can do miracles. Look at me. I'm really good at this thing. And I was saying, he looks over at Philip and the other apostles and they're filled with the Spirit and he goes, Give you some silver if you give me that power to anoint people with the spirit. He wanted it. He wanted to be able to give the spirit away. You can't do that. You see, the spirit indwells you only through one process. God's word says when you put your faith and trust in him, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19, he indwells you. And then you have the Spirit. And then God would begin to do in and through you what you can't do in and through yourself. Pastor, this is just some wild stuff. Yeah, it sure is. It's amazing what will happen to a life that says, God, you, have, you can have me. But apart from that, God's word says, you can do nothing. So the question is, that this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? If not, what are the circumstances that God's trying to use? Maybe it's a service. Maybe it's a friend who's been inviting you to church. So that you can know the truth. Maybe God has allowed some sickness or illness in your family to get your attention to say, hey, you can't do this on your own. You need me to help you through this. Maybe it's been a, a rough patch in your life. Maybe it's been a, a relationship failure or, or some other type of circumstance. God's trying to get your attention. And you just kind of turning your back and saying, not now, God, maybe later. What's God doing in and through your life? For Saul, he used the flash of light and the voice of God to get on. What is God using in your life? You see, it's coming to Jesus is not joining a church. I don't care if you never come through these doors again. If you don't know Jesus, I hope you at least go out knowing Jesus. I'd love to see you again, but that's not the important factor here. The important factor is that you know Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each and everyone that's here this morning. We thank you for the example that we see in Saul that, Lord, I think so many of us can relate to. We know a lot about you, Father. We know a lot of facts, a lot of data. But if we're honest, our life doesn't match what we say we know. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, many in this room probably are not saved might be religious, but they're not truly saved. And God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for them. I pray that for many of us, Lord, that it would not be a circumstance, Lord, where we just put it off until another time, or until we know more, or feel more confident about it. Because, Lord, we don't know that we have another day. But, Lord, I do pray that you'd work it folks to yourself Lord just ask for a moment as we're sitting here that just ask for a moment that we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed just every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard maybe you're not accustomed to going to church maybe you're just checking us out for the first time I don't know but every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard I'll never embarrass you, I'll never call anyone out that's not what we're here for But in this last moment, I'd love to pray for you if you don't know Jesus. I can't save you. My prayer cannot save you. I just simply would love to pray for you. Say, Pastor God, I'm not really sure if I know Jesus, if I truly have a relationship with him. If I'm I'm honest with myself, I'm just not confident. Can I just simply pray for you? How do I know that? Just look up at me. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not calling you out. Just look at me. Give me a nod. And I would love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus, I would love just to simply pray for you. Anyone like that? Just catch my eye. You're not sure? you're, You're concerned? Just look at me so I can do know Jesus what validates it what is your service for the Lord what are you willing to do because Jesus has come into your life and changed your life what would validate what you say you have with Jesus you say Pastor Ken if I'm honest with myself this morning man yeah, there's not much there right now some things that God's convicting me about some things I need to work on Pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? Yes. 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 Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things I'm struggling with. Yes. Can I just challenge all of you? We have the same God. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but I want you to pray too. If God has showed you that there's some things that need to change, Just simply surrender that right now in prayer. Just right there where you're sitting. Right there in your seat. Take a moment. Pray. God, forgive me for not doing what I should be doing. God, forgive me for not representing you well. God, give me strength to be obedient in these areas. Whatever those areas may be, you and God know what they are. I'll stand to our feet as we close in prayer Lord Jesus you know our hearts Lord you know that we can deceive everyone around us and fool everyone around us but Lord we cannot fool you Lord I pray that you would Lord even though the service is going to end I pray God Lord that the invitation never does and Lord that you continue to work in the hearts of those who need to be saved for those who acknowledged, Lord, that there's some things that need to change. I pray, God, that you give them, Lord, courage and boldness and strength, Lord, to make those changes this week, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that we, in and of ourselves, we are too weak. We can't do it on our own. But, Lord, with your help, we can. So, Lord, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that you grant victory in this area. And, Lord, help us to reflect. The image of Christ well in our day-to-day living. Lord, forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us as a body of believers for where we fail you. Lord, right, we see your hand at work in our midst, Lord, because we are walking in obedience and in fellowship with you, Father. May we send your presence in all that we say and do this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.